Well, good morning. You guys have a lot of things going on down here, right? A lot of stuff going on in July, a lot of things that you can invite friends to, uh, both neighbors, coworkers, get people involved. You know, the, the beauty of a lot of these events is it doesn't take a lot of skill to do them, right? So you can just virtually invite anyone. Well, I am glad to be with you. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors at Village Church of Bartlett. And so I'm going to share a message with you today about busyness, okay? Let me just share a couple of thoughts with you. Busyness makes us stop caring about what we care about. It's not so much about how you're busy and how much you're busy, but why you're busy. The bee is praised, but the mosquito and the fly are swatted. Now that was supposed to be funny, and no one even cracked the joke. <laughs> Never get so busy at making a living that you forget to make a life. Busyness is the unrivaled arch enemy of spiritual authenticity. I just shared with you a few of the many quotes about busyness. If you Google busyness and busy quotes, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of these quotes. And when we think about busyness, we are usually thinking about ourselves, but I hope that you're also looking around at others and seeing how busy they are. You know, if you were here a few weeks ago, you, you were able to hear Pastor Alex's message about the distractions that come through technology. Well, today I want to talk to you about the distractions that come through busyness. And, um, you know, our busyness does virtually the same thing that our technology does. You know, this morning I want to talk to you about how our busyness can lure us away from the things that are the most important in our lives. They distract us. They take us away, take our thoughts, our energies, and, um, you know, our, our abilities away from the things that are most, hap uh, most important. And just like Alex, when he was here talking about how he confessed that his technology distracts him uh, from the important things in life, I'm here to share with you a confession that my busyness does the same thing. I'm a busy person. I'm guessing that many of you are busy people. And it's that busyness in our lives that distract us from what's important. You know, it's just as a real thing about busyness as it is the distractions of technology. And we usually don't think of busyness as a distraction. We usually think busyness is a way of life. But what I want to talk to you about today, what I want to challenge you with today, is that our busyness can be a distraction. And sometimes we're busy about things that are not really that important. You know, and what what I want to share with you, I want to be honest with you, you know, my family thinks I'm a busy person. I think I'm a busy person. My, parent, my family and even my parents, you know, say, well, you're a workaholic. I don't think I'm a workaholic. I think I'm busy. But if I am one of those, my guess is that I'm not the only one in this room. I'm guessing that many of you are busy people and you probably wrestle with the fact that, well, am I... Am I a workaholic? Am I just so busy that, you know, I'm constantly getting, you know, I try to get things done. I try to accomplish more than what I really should get, uh, what would be reasonable to get accomplished. You know, in the same way that we can use our technology as a self-medication, we can use our busyness in the same way. 
Our busyness becomes a medication that causes us to get so engulfed in what we're doing and what we've got to get done that we get distracted. You know, we can wrap ourselves up in this thing called busyness in such a way that it's almost like diving into the deep end of the swimming pool of commotion. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's not a good way to teach a child how to swim. Throw them in the deep end and let them figure it out for themselves. You know, but often we're the same way. We jump into this busy, busy swimming pool where everybody else is fighting for their life and we're all fighting in this thing called commotion and busyness and we're, we're so distracted of the things that we shouldn't be distracted about. You know, I've got a question for you. I want to start off by my first question. Do you find that your busyness enables you to ignore something that's really important to you in life? And could you be honest enough to say, you know what, if I were to really admit it, my busyness often distracts me from the things that are really important. You know, we live in a busy culture. You know, everything that I've been talking about today, even that little illustration about you know, the busy swimming pool really does, to me, it describes the people that I interact with on a regular basis. Maybe it describes the people that you interact with on a regular basis. You know, we live in a busy culture, and most of us would agree we're too busy. You know, there's a saying that um, I think maybe my grandparents told me. An idle mind is a is the devil's playground, right? And if the idle mind is a devil's playground, then isn't it true that idle hands are the devil's playground? So we've got to get busy. We've got to get busy doing things, you know, and we've got to get busy doing those things that are important. You know, I really believe that um, today, one of the great tactics of Satan is to get us distracted with this busyness, to get us convinced that we need to be busy. We need to be doing things. And by doing those things, he takes us away, like a lure takes us a fish away, you know, and just eventually get, we get caught, or that fish gets caught with that lure. Satan does the same thing with us. He gets us wrapped up chasing this busyness of life away from the things that we really should be doing. Here's what's sad, though. Today, I really believe most busy people, Christian and non-Christian alike, we wear our busyness almost like a badge of honor. I mean, it's, I'm a busy person. See? I, I've got the badge to prove it. You know, I've got, I've got the certificate on the wall that I'm a busy person. You know, and, and here's how it goes in my life. So I'm just going to confess about my life. I won't pick on you, you know, right now. This is the way it works with me. Tim, how'd your week go? And what do I say? Busy. It went busy. I was busy. I had a guy yesterday, I was working in my garage and I had a bunch of, I had all kinds of stuff out in my garage. And I'm putting all my garage back because I had to take everything out of my garage. And I got all this stuff all over. He walks over and says, are you busy? <laughs> I want to say, here's your sign. What do you think? Now, that was a wrong attitude, wasn't it? That was a wrong attitude of me. I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But we really do. We wear this badge of honor, of busyness, as if I would reply to someone, no, I wasn't really busy this week. 
as saying, well, I was lazy, I was unproductive, or I was worse than that, you know? We just don't say those things about ourselves. At least I don't say those things about me. You know, it's, it's almost as if we as busy Christians feel that, you know, we go to the Bible and say, well, God created work. Work's a good thing. We see that in Genesis 2. We see that in Genesis 3, that we're supposed to be, you know, working. Work's a good thing. And as Christians, we should be working. And it's almost as if we say, you know, being overworked and having a lack of sleep are attractive because they produce results. And most of us want to produce results. Correct? Yeah, we want to produce. And the problem is that many of us, we, we really let this thing called busyness, if we really were to confess the truth, we've let our busyness become the master of our life rather than the Lord Jesus. That's really what it comes down to. And maybe I'm just, again, talking about myself. You know, I know that Jesus should be Lord of my life, but sometimes I let busyness become the master of my life. I found it really interesting when I was doing research on this message. What does the medical field say about the stress and the busyness of our culture today? Well, this is what I found. The medical field is proving more and more that we aren't physically designed to operate in this constant state of busyness and stress. Studies continue to prove that when we're in a constant and chronic state of stress and busyness, our bodies continue to release adrenaline. You probably have heard of that hormone before. But a number of other hormones are released when we're in this constant frenzy of busyness. And it is causing all kinds of medical problems for many different systems in our body. Not just, you know, certain, you know, like high blood pressure. But this busyness and this chronic state of stress is really wreaking havoc on our bodies. You know, in Alex's message um, a while back about technology, he introduced his message by using a, a, a passage of Scripture. I'm going to get to Scripture right now. And so the passage that I want to use to kind of introduce this is the passage that's going to uh, come right before the main text of this message. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it's the parallel passage that Alex used. And I want to begin to read what the scripture says and what Jesus had to say about busyness. In Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 10, 25, the passage says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do? Get that? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer said and answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Do you see the doing there, the busyness? This guy is basically saying, you know, I need to be busy about doing something to in inherit this eternal life thing that you're talking about. So Jesus virtually says this. He says, oh, you want to do something? You want to be busy about something? Then do the right things. Do these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You want to be busy? Then be busy about this. 
And just like this lawyer, many people today, they really think that if they're busy, if they're busy doing, they will gain favor of God. And if we slow down, we somehow lose God's favor. Is that really true? And that's what I want to challenge us with right now. You know, the problem is we use our distraction and we miss the important things that Jesus talked about in this passage. We get busy doing, but we get doing the wrong things. And Jesus is talking about doing something here. And what the most important thing was, was to have a personal relationship with the Lord God of heaven and earth and his son Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with other people. You cannot do these things that are important to love the Lord. You can't do that apart from having a personal relationship with him. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't personally know who your neighbor is and how to love them, can you? So even though it sounds like Jesus is saying, get busy doing, Jesus is really saying, get busy knowing, get busy relating, get busy having a relationship with. That's what he's really talking about. So let's look at the text that we have today, which is found right after that Luke 25, which is Luke 38. And uh, I don't know if there is any other passage in all of Scripture that speaks towards the distraction of busyness any better than this passage. And I, I scoured, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, is there a better passage that talks about this thing called busyness that distracts us or the distraction of busyness? Listen to what is, is told to us here in this account. Now as they went on their way, this is Jesus and his disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed, her, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. In other words, that's her busyness. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, this is the constant state that I live in, the Martha state. Maybe you live in that same state as well. I want to just pull out some general observations about this text, okay? Just some things that maybe you know, maybe you saw as I read those, maybe those things kind of popped in your mind. Oh yeah, I see something here that he's going to talk about. If not, let me just point some things out here. I wonder if this was a scheduled visit by Jesus and his disciples, or did they just pop in on Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? How do you feel about when people pop in at your house? And your house is messy, you're not prepared, do you kind of get stressed? I know some people do. And I just wonder, was this a pop-in visit? And Martha was already a little stressed. Martha was apparently the mistress of this home. Do you notice it said, 
it was her house. It was her house. She is likely the oldest of these three siblings, of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. She's, as the oldest, as I'm the oldest of four kids, I know what that means. When you're the oldest, there are certain personality traits that kind of naturally have been passed down to you somehow, and you've absorbed those, and I think Martha kind of has those. Her name in Aramaic is the feminine equivalent to the word Lord. So if you look carefully at this passage, you're going to see there is a little play on words here. Okay, so just think, Martha actually means Lord. And what is going on between her and Jesus? This text says that she was distracted. And this word literally means to be pulled in two different directions at the same time. Think about that. If you don't already know this about this family, Jesus had a very personal relationship with them. Very personal relationship with them. Uh, this would not be his only visit to their home. Because later on, in a couple of chapters later, actually one chapter later in John 11, we read these words. There was a certain man, uh, there was, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Now that's Martha's brother. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Personal relationship, right? Whose brother Lazarus was ill. By the way, nowhere does it say that Mary was of ill repute, a prostitute. And yet that is what we've been told uh, or what has been passed down, that Mary was not a very moral lady. Oh, oh, really? That's not what this says. She was someone in Lazarus' home. Later on in verse 5 of that chapter 11, it says, that the, says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Do you think he had a personal relationship with these people? I think a deep friendship with them. A very deep relationship with them. So let's just think about our busyness for a little bit. You know, we've been given the principle of a Sabbath day in Genesis, right? We, we get the illustration where the Lord worked for six days, created everything that were created, then he took a Sabbath rest, even though he's God and doesn't need it, but he gives us that principle of a Sabbath, both a physical Sabbath and a spiritual Sabbath as a principle on a weekly basis. So we get that in Genesis, and it's carried out. That principle is carried out through Scripture. So I'm asking myself this question. I'm going to ask you this question. Do I think I'm exempt from that principle on a weekly basis? Do you think you're exempt from that weekly Sabbath principle? Some of us do. You know, when we think about our busyness, have you thought about how busy God is? You know, all the things that God does. If you read through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, you're going to see that God is, the Father is busy. He is at work. He is working in the lives of people. We sang about that in one of our songs today, that God does great things, doesn't he? God is busy at work. You know, I love Psalm uh, 121, where it talks about 
uh, Israel's great shepherd, great provider, great watcher, the one that watches over them. Behold, it says, he who keeps watch over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. God is busy. And we take that passage and we think, ah, God doesn't have to sleep, so therefore I don't need to sleep. Really? Is that what we think? You know, God, though, if we really look at Scripture, even though he's busy, he is never too busy. He's never too busy for even the smallest child. You know, and that's the thing that amazes me when you talk to people about God. What is your view of God? And usually this is what you hear. Well, God is way up there. He's overseeing the entire universe, and he's way up here, and he's got everything in control, which all those are true. But you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you. For you. God may be busy with all the affairs of the world, but he's never too busy for the individual, which is astounding, is incredible to think about. If you look at the, the New Testament, and you look at especially the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about Jesus, it is likely that he was the busiest person who ever lived. You know, the, the Scripture says, that you know, if, if we were to write everything that he did, the world would not be able to contain the volumes of all the things he did. But yet you never see Jesus stressing out. You never see him busy. You never see him anxious. You never see him worried. Matter of fact, when the storms are going on and the disciples are so worried that they're about to drown, where's Jesus? He's taking a nap in the middle of the boat. You know, and he says, why are you so worried? Why are you so stressed out? You know, why do we think that worry and anxiety should be a part of our life when the Lord models that it's not in his? So I just want to share with you, just in case you think, oh, you know what, I'm not that busy. Or I just need to get a little, I need to get a little uh, check in with you to see how busy you are. I'd like us to take a little 10-question, am I too busy quiz? And I want you to, when we start taking this quiz, all I want you to think about is you. Don't think about your wife, your, 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 your husband. Don't think about your kids. Don't think about you know, your boss at work. Think about you and just answer with a yes or no. Keep tally. There's only 10 questions, okay? Question number one. I often commit to things before I know how much time or energy it will require. Just a simple yes or no. Number two, I'm always tired and never feel like I've accomplished enough at the end of the day. It's yes or no. I rarely, if ever, schedule a day off or downtime in, on my calendar. Number four, if I do schedule a day off, I feel it, fill it with other activities. Number five, I have difficulty saying no. No to things and no to people. Do you have difficulty with that? Number six. I'm behind on my to-do list, but, or, or, I put things on my to-do list afterwards just to cross them off. Anybody else guilty of that? I put things on my calendar just to say, I did that yesterday. Do you know that's sick? 
You know, that's really, I, I think I need some help. Maybe you do too. I put things on my to-do list just across. Oh, I didn't have that on my list yesterday, so I'm going to write it on so I can cross it off so I can see I did it. Like, who's going to see it? Me and God, right? I think God knows, right? Number seven, I find myself constantly wishing I had more time. There's only so much time each day. I feel powerless over my time and commitments. Key word there is, I feel powerless. Others complain that my schedule doesn't allow enough time for them. Like your wife, your kids, your, your husband. I regularly feel like I'm doing things for others or for everyone else, but I never get to do what I want. All right? Do you take that quiz? Did you count your yeses? All right, so here's... I know you want to find out, how did I do, right? Okay, here's how you did. If you had eight to ten yeses, seriously, did you need to take this? You already knew, right? You already knew you struggled with this just like me. If you had five to seven yeses, yeah, you're on the busy bubble. So let's see if we can pop it today. And if you had one to four yeses, uh, Michael Fueling, by the way, claims that he had, you know, less than four. Yeah, I think he's lying, all right? all right? I say, you're amazing, but how do you do it? Because I don't know how you do that. How can you possibly get only four or less of these questions with a yes? I, I don't know. You're going to have to school me because I don't get it. Well, let's look at uh, my busy attitudes. You know, as a busy person, I, I've already confessed to you, there's times that I have certain attitudes that... Some are good, some are not so good. Um, and most people who are busy, they are in my camp. They, they have these same attitudes, and, and you know, we're kindred spirits, and, and I kind of get it. If you're not a busy person, you need to listen up just so you understand us busy people, okay? In the text, we read about Martha being distracted. Let's look at some of the attitudes that Martha kind of displayed. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Think about this. Hospitality. Good? She wanted to be hospitable, right? She was responsible. She had a sense of ownership. Doing the right thing. She had a sense of the urgent. All those are important. But then it turns, she had the attitude of anxiety and worry. The, the, the attitude of stress and frustration. Of jealousy. You know, she looked over at her sister, and I'm sure Martha wanted to be sitting next to her sister, or at least sitting at the feet of Jesus. I, I think she was jealous. She was impatient, and even went to demanding. Not just demanding of her parents. She demanded Jesus. She kind of bossed him around. Remember her name means Lord? You know, tell her to get up and help me. And in fact, if you look carefully, if you understood, you know, about the original language, the way she asked Jesus this question in the original Greek language, she really, it really indicates that she expected a positive or a yes answer from Jesus. She truly knew that Jesus cared about her and about what was going on. She truly expected Jesus to do something. Martha fully expected that he would tell her sister to get up and come help her. 
So the better way of understanding what she said is, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve or serve alone? I know you care. I know you care. So then tell her to get up and help me. That's really what she's saying. And in spite of those attitudes, in spite of her feelings, Jesus responded to her with the most tender, loving, he didn't slap her down and you know, put her in her place. No, he said, Martha, Martha. Not sarcastic, but in a tender, affectionate way. Of course he understood, which demonstrated that he deeply did care about what was going on. Well, what about us? What about our world of busyness and our attitudes? You know, I don't know if any of you related just then to how Martha felt. Been there, done that, and have the plaque on the wall. I, I know what that feels like, and maybe you do too. And maybe you struggle with some of those same common attitudes that Martha had. I, I just want to give you a couple of them for our settings, okay? You feel like no one else understands the weight of responsibility to get things done. Do you ever feel that way? You live by the motto, if it's going to be, it's up to me. You ever feel that way? You demand that the right things are being done by yourself and others, and you demand of yourselves that, that the right thing is done the right way. You live with this constant sense of urgency. You see interruptions to your plans as a curse rather than a blessing. For you, anxiety and worry are so common that they become a constant companion. They're just with you all the time. You find yourself so frustrated because others aren't as busy as you think they should be. You find yourself jealous of others because they just aren't busy. You can't sleep at night or you wake up early thinking about all the things that you've got to get done. Anyone else in this room relating to me? You live with busyness so long that you actually think, I like being busy. Anyone else there? Or is it just me? You know, I bet Martha had those same feelings. I bet if she took this quiz, she'd be like me. She got a 10 out of 10. I mean, we got 100%, A, A plus, all right? Or at least a 9.5, right? I bet she feels that same way. And yet, you know, here's, here's the, the comfort that I want to share with you. The Lord would look down on us just as he looked down or looked at Martha and said, Tim, Tim, the world is not going to fall apart because you're not busy. You are not the one that holds this universe in your palm of your hand. I do. Don't fret. You inject your name there because he feels the same way about you. Well, let's think about what we need to do about this. Because if this is the case, we need to do something about it. It's not good to just point out the problem. Let's see if we can point out a solution. And I think the solution is resetting my priorities. You know, people who get distracted with busyness, we need to regularly go back to our priorities and say, okay, what is important? What is most important? What, you know, so let's see if we can't do that. In our text about Martha and her situation, 
Her busyness was not the difference between something good and something bad. We need to take that off the table. Martha's struggle was doing something that was good when she should have been doing something that was best. Okay? And that gets tricky. You know, it's easy to look at something that's bad and something good and say, okay, that's bad because Scripture says it's bad. This is good. But what happens when it's good and best? All right? By all means, Jesus and his companions, they would have loved and, and really would have enjoyed a meal and some refreshments. That's a good thing. Jesus and his disciples had been walking around and he had been preaching. And he, you know, it would have been a good thing to get you know, a little refreshment. But what was the best thing for Martha is what her sister chose. is to sit at the feet of the master and to hear his teaching. And Jesus even said, what she has chosen won't be taken away. The meal, the refreshments, you know, we're going to have that tomorrow too. And the next day too. And the next day. And the truth of it is, Jesus was just there that day. And then he would be off to the next city for a few more weeks. So it's choosing the best over choosing what's good. So I want us to think about our world of busyness and us and about our priorities. And for many people, this setting of priorities, for some of them, it is but choosing good versus choosing things that are not good. I mean, I, I, we, we know that. Some people just can't choose the good things because they're going after the bad things. Uh, I know that. But for most of us, we struggle with the same problem that Martha had, choosing the best rather than choosing the good. And, and it gets tricky. It gets very tricky when we have to analyze, okay, is this the best versus is this good? You know, we also have this problem. We have to choose what's important over what's urgent. All right? What's important over what's urgent. Yesterday, for me, what was important was getting my garage back in line. I had a neighbor come over, and really what he wanted, he wanted to know if I was busy because his car had died the night before, and he didn't have a car to get to work. And this was one of the few times that I actually had an interaction with my neighbor, and the crazy thing was his neighbor, which is new to our community, his neighbor brought his neighbor to me to help me fix their car. And I saw it as a distraction because it was, it was not urgent to me, but it was urgent to them. I want to just share with you a little illustration that um, kind of charts things out. And this chart kind of helps us kind of analyze what our priorities should be. I want you to look at this. Up in the upper left-hand corner, you see the word urgent. And then you see over on the, on the far left-hand side, important. Urgent and important is a crisis. That's kind of where this guy was yesterday. It was urgent, it was important that his car gets fixed so he could go to work. But it wasn't that way for me. For me, it was not urgent, but it was, I'm sorry, it was not important down below. It was not important, but it was urgent, so for me it was a distraction. But is that what it should have been for me? Here's my opportunity to you know, build into a relationship with someone new to my community. 
So not, not uh, important, but urgent is a distraction. Over on the right-hand side, not urgent, but important is productive. That's really the, the upper two areas is where we should try to maintain most of our priorities. All right, that's really where we should be. And then that far red box on the lower right is uh, not important, not urgent, it's a waste of time. Should I give you some illustrations of these? I will, but not now. Mm -hmm. You know, years ago, my dad said something to me that, you know, every now and then dads say things, every now and then dads say things that kind of like, dad's not so dumb. Dad actually knows some stuff. My dad said this to me a long time ago. He says, son, everybody makes time for what they think is important. Everybody makes time for what they think is important. And I have found throughout life, he is 100% correct. Everyone makes time, and we know what that means. We, we can't make time, but we make a priority of what we think is important. And what, what that translates to mean is, what's important to us, we do. We, what's important to us, we make time for. And our priorities determine who we are. So you look at people and you see, you know, certain people, you know, um, you know, we play softball on a Thursday night league at the church. And there are guys that they play softball five days a week. For them, that's important. That's their priority. You know, they can have a hundred other things going on, but they're not going to miss their softball team, teams, all five of them, you know. For some of us, we do the same thing. What we make time for what we think is important. So what are we making time for? Listen to this. Each of us are given 24 hours a day and 168 hours in a week. 168 hours a week. And for some of us, I know in, that, in this room, you're thinking 168 hours, that's a lot of hours. For the rest of us, meaning me, I think, uh, Lord, could you not do what you did for Moses, kind of stop everything for a while so we can get a little more time. Can I get a little more time? You know, could you extend it to 178 hours for me? And uh, what does God say? Uh, no, no, not for you, not for anyone else. I did do it once, but that was special. You know, when it comes to parenting, you know, I know that most of us here, our parents are grandparents. And I want us to think about this when it comes to our kids and our grandkids. Most parents will have their kids in their house 18 years. And then they'll move off and then they'll start, you know, either college or they'll move out. And we think 18 years, 18 is a small number. I mean, it's only a two-digit number. So it's, you know, it's not that much time. 18 years equates to 157,680 hours. 157, 680 hours, which sounds like a tremendous amount of time, right? Sherry, Brent, you're in my category. How fast do those hours go by? They go by like that. Those 18 years, those 168,000 hours go by like a flash when we look by, back. And if we don't use that time intentionally, they go by so fast that our kids are out of the house and we think, have I imparted 
any wisdom? Have I lost, what have I lost in time and in investment in my kids because they're gone and I'm not going to be able to regain, I'm not going to be able to recoup any of those lost hours. They go by so fast. We have to be intentional about how we use those hours because they will go by so fast. You know, we tell ourselves we're busy, but are we telling ourselves the truth or are we telling ourselves a lie? Are we really making time for what we feel is important or are we just frantically chasing something that's really not important? You know, you know I've watched people in my life, people that I've been a pastor over and people I've invested with, I've, in, I've watched them waste their life chasing the things that are futile. Maybe you have too. And you wonder, okay, you spend hours doing something that in the grand scheme of things of life really are not going to amount to anything. And I've watched other people that have invested their lives in important things, the important things in life, the things that Jesus talked about uh, with that rich ruler or lawyer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor yourself. I've watched people do that and I've seen the difference. You know, I find myself sometimes watching too much TV. I spend too much time on Facebook. And I tell myself, well, I'm learning. I'm watching the History Channel, the Discovery Channel. I'm learning. But am I lying to myself? Is that really the most important thing? And again, I'm not saying those things are evil. You know, I found out, you know, you find out all kinds of things on Facebook. Some things that are really important. Sometimes we just find ourselves, wait a minute, how did I lose an hour on this? Two hours. You know, I'm watching Facebook and I'm just jumping all over. Am I the only one or does it just happen to, does it happen to others? You know, we sometimes lose track of the things that are not important. You know, we tell ourselves that we can find time to do those things, but we can't find time to read our Bibles like we should. We spend too many hours at work, you know, and, and I, I loved what a guy told me one time. He says, you know, he, he was about to retire. He said, you know, I, I asked him, I said, do you have any regrets? He said, you know, I spend too many hours at work. I lost time with my family. I lost things, time at my church. I didn't do the things that are really important. I, I gained a great paycheck. I gained a great, uh, a great reputation, uh, a status uh, at, at my job. But in the grand scheme of things, I think God's going to say, you know what, you wasted. You wasted your time on things that are unimportant. I find myself the same way. You know, people that spend so many hours at work and then don't have time or energy to invest in their families. You know, as parents, we put our kids in every extracurricular activity. I've seen parents do this. They got their kids in every extracurricular activity that is known to mankind but their kids can't go to youth camp, they can't go to mission trips, they can't go to Awana, they can't do anything. You know, and sometimes we do the same things. You know, they're so busy doing all this other stuff, they can't go to church because they've they got to play that little league baseball or that travel soccer team. Parents do the same thing. How do we counteract this? I wonder, are we really that busy or do we just keep lying to ourselves? Is it really a matter of not having enough time or is it really a matter of not having the right priorities? You know? Are we really, really too busy to pray? Are we really too busy to have a quiet time? 
Are we really too busy to go to church? Are we really too busy to go to our community group? Are we really too busy to serve in church? Are we really too busy to take our wives or or, our husbands on a date? Are we really too busy to read a book with our child or our grandchild? Are we really that busy? Are we just telling ourselves that that we're that busy? Let me see if I can illustrate this with with something here. Um, I know this is a plastic jar. I know that. But let's say this represents a life. Your life or my life. This is how much space we have in our life. In a lifetime, this is how much we have. We have no more. God does not give us any more, but he gives us that much. And if we look at our life and we say, I need to fill my life with the things that are important, if I fill those with the things that really are important, you know what? God makes it all work right. But often we fill it with things that are less important first. So let me see if I can kind of illustrate what I've got here. So uh, we've got some things here that we can fill our lives with. All right? So uh, we've got important things. Important things that are really not just important to us, but are important to God. And if they're really important to us and really important to God, and we put those things as a high priority in our life, guess what? It all fits. It all works. But, you know, then we've got things that are, you know, they're important, but they're not quite as important, you know, as maybe difference, what I think is important versus what you think is important. But they may be important to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Now, when you look at these things, all of these things, the average person says there is no way all of that is going to fit into this. And I say, yeah, you're right. If we put it in the wrong way, if we put these things in at the wrong order, they'll never fit. All of that will not fit in this life. But if we do it the right way and say, all right, Lord, what is most important? Let's put the important things in first. And if we set the important things in first, that fits. Then if we come back and say, okay, what's the second most important thing in my life? Maybe it's, um, you know, this would be family, God, or, or obviously God, family, and church. Okay, we put those things in my life, they fit. And then we put other things that are in our life, like work and, uh, you know, may, maybe some hobbies and some habits. We put those in there. Those fit. And then we say, well, wh- what about other things that are important other things that we should put in our lives will those still fit well let's find out so let's see if they'll fit in there hey they all fit if i put it in the right order what about the other things that are eh, not quite important but you know those are the little things that come in our life you know distractions things that we want to do but you know really if we have them in the right order you know, will this now fit? Well, let's find out. Hey, that all fits too. But then we've got other things that come into our life that we have to decide. You know, can I fill my life or can I put other things in my life that are a lower priority, but I still want them in my life? Will they still fit? Well, let's find out. Not only will that fit, but even more of these things will fit now that I've got the big, most important priorities first. 
But if I put the important things, if I try to put the most important priorities in second or third, guess what? I've tried this way too many times. It won't work. It, they just won't fit into my life. So I have to set the priorities and I have to put them in my life in the right order for them all to work out. Make sense? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in life, you have demonstrated your priority. Your priority was to love us so much that you gave us your son. You loved us so much that you allowed your son to go to the cross. Not for his sin, but for our sin. And you loved us so much that you came to give us the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins, to be changed from the inside out, to have a relationship with you and to have a relationship that's right and proper with others. So Lord, I thank you that not only did you challenge me in this message, but I pray that you've challenged others because we sometimes just have things out of order. And we've been chasing things that we really shouldn't. Let us do the thing, the very thing that you told that rich lawyer, which was to love you first with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then second, love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us to be challenged that not only are you challenging us, but you've also loved us enough to not leave us where we're at. May you continue to work in our lives. May you continue to allow us to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.